Welcome to Renegade Inc. The league tables that cause plenty of consternation amongst the Western political classes show the Nordic countries constantly top in education, media freedom, lack of corruption, happiness and quality of life. So how did they get there? How do they stay there? And why can't we emulate their success? Professor Danny Dorling, welcome to Renegade. Always great to have you on the programme. You have written Fintopia, um, and it is, in a sense, it's an almanac for how to do things properly if you're running a country. <laughs> is that a fair depiction of it? Uh, that's part of it. How, how can you get to a position where so much is so much better yes. uh, than it is in places like the UK? Fintopia, what we can learn from the world's happiest country. Uh, it's co-written by you and Nika Koljunanen. Uh, give us the three bits that really like, you know, put the lights on when you were writing this with Anika. What was the thing that you thought, you know what, wow, uh, this has changed me as an author. These are three realisations that I didn't know before I started writing. Just how utterly terrible th things were in Finland in 1918 with the mm. terror. Just how divided society it was, worse than the UK. Just how ridiculously well people are doing now, you know, better. Even the things we thought they were doing badly on, like suicide rates, have actually improved dramatically. Right. Uh, so that was a shock. And then the other thing I learned was the struggle in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. Political? The political decades of struggle, when things have gone, could have gone in a slightly different direction, could have just been an average European country. You know? And the amount of effort that went in the right way, and also the right wing doing badly, uh, that meant that it got this success now. What is the one um, rebuttal that you hear all the time, quite specifically from one group of people, which is the British right wing. Because when um, the Nordics are always at the top of every league that you want to be top of, whether it be happiness, media, freedom, equality, education, what's the one thing that you hear all the time that irks these people and they think, ah, I can't all be that good up there? Uh, the nasty one I get is racial homogeneity. These what are, is that? Oh, these are all white people who are related to each other. Dear so they got dear. on. And if... And with the implication being, kind of Enoch Powell-like, if only England was all white... Then That's a degree from eugenics. I, I get to hear that. That's the thing that really irks. And, of course, even Finland is no longer like that because it's, it's had very high rates of immigration and wants more because its rate of fertility is so low. If it doesn't get more immigration, it's going to have a problem. Aren't we further on from that? Haven't we progressed? Don't we realise that that's... The, uh... Oh, most of us. But, but there's this small group of eugenicists and you do wonder whether they're a tip of an iceberg of a bigger kind of feeling in Britain that, that occurs in unequal countries where you're looking for people to blame. What tends to happen in general is, is that the right wing want to not talk about Nordic countries. I was told recently, and this is interesting, there are two countries you can't mention in the Department of Education in London. One is Finland, just don't mention it. Uh, the other interestingly is Scotland, which is nowhere <laughs> near because, Why Scotland? Because uh, Scotland does better for education, oh. and most dramatically... But surely they triumph that. Scotland uh, last year only excluded something less than five children from its secondary schools. We exclude thousands permanently in England. Scotland excludes less than five. It's a triumph. You'd trumpet that. You'd say, this, they're getting something right. Let's, let's go up and find out what it is. You don't keep up a position of high inequality and inefficiency and do so badly as England does by looking at other places and learning from them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I, it's this very is, sad. This is a terrible start. Where are we going with it? Because um, if we're not willing to learn, we're in trouble, right? Yes. But that should give you reasons for optimism. 
you know, because if the blinkers are so down, um, then if you can only open up to see and to realise this actually does work. And the fact, you know, the Scottish example of education, the fact you do not need to permanently exclude children from schools. In, and of course, we in England do it at a higher rate than anywhere else in Europe. And, and simple things, of, and it doesn't keep up discipline. And, it's Victorian yeah. mentality. Yes, although, and you're beginning to see, sorry to veer off on this, but, and this is, you know, reasons for optimism. You are beginning to see fairly mainstream politicians talk about excluding from schools being the equivalent of, in the 80s, we cane children, right? And of course, there are people who are in favour of caning children, and they came from one part of the political spectrum, right? Right. There's a way the story never changes, but right. but some it, things are. I mean, we need to learn from other countries that do things better, uh, which you know the Nordic and Scandinavian countries in particular, but you know even Scotland, which on so many ways is getting slightly better than England um, through policies, through political policy. As a geographer, you spent a lot of your time looking uh, at Scandinavia. Why has that uh, area taken your uh, fancy? Why, why have you spent so much time writing about, thinking about and looking at the Nordics? I've, I've looked at other areas as well. I mean, you've got to, you know, the other big four European countries, Spain, Italy, France and Germany, are all more equal than the UK. So, but the Nordics are interesting in that they've managed to keep a position for a length of time, despite the internal worries in the, in the Nordic countries of saying things are going better, worse, whatever. They've actually managed now to hold on for an entire generation to pretty good equality. When it slipped slightly, when inequality rose slightly, say in Finland, it capped again. You know, Finland is at the best level the UK ever got to, which was the same level as, as Sweden mm. in the 1970s. It's a sort of, you can compare Nordic countries. There's just about enough of them, only just, uh, <laughs> to be able to say, well, what, why does Finland say do better than Norway on this? Mm. And it shows you it isn't necessarily about having more, more money. So you can actually begin to look between them. Whereas, say, if you take a large country like Germany, it is harder to... Mm. To, to measure. So, so I'm interested in comparisons between places and in what is really happening. Because constantly people tell you, oh, something is impossible. And you go, well, it's happening over there. It's actually happening. You know, it's not, not theoretical. Do you think that um, the, one of the most fascinating aspects of this is that um, the, the longevity of the statistics? Um, because we often hear um, here in the UK, if Scotland gets its independence, then it'll go off and it'll be another yeah. uh, uh, Denmark. It'll be another Norway. But the point you make is that actually it can do that, but you need generation after generation after generation to keep those uh, um, norms in place so they become habitual and then you just keep repeating. As, as, as we know, success is about repetition. Um, it, it's not as simple, is it, to say to other countries like the UK or anywhere else, well, just, uh, or Scotland, just become independent and then it'll happen overnight. No, I mean, the country I looked at in particular was, was Finland. Mm. And so you wrote a book with a sort of slightly jokey title, Fintopia. What we discovered in that, because we were trying to write a book about what's wrong in Finland. Yeah. Um, we should know a few things, but interestingly, you know, the things you think are wrong, like too much alcohol, or whatever, most of them are getting better. Mm. Uh, and then much else, of course, isn't wrong. The question was, how did Finland manage to get there? And the answer was, it took a long time. Right. It took a long time. Right. So the problem for Scotland is... You know, I would go for independence if I was Scottish, 
but I would assume that only the grandchildren are actually going to benefit. It's going to be a huge struggle. The Scots don't realise just how English they are. Oh so I know. I tell you, our inboxes are going to be absolutely full of okay. that comment. Can you imagine? Well, think of the qualify. Think of the number of private schools in Edinburgh. Yes. Right. Think of the inequality in Edinburgh. Yes. Right. That's an English level of inequality. Oh, Glasgow and the poverty. You know, mm. um, very very high by Western European standards. You make Scotland independent, and the country it most looks like in Europe suddenly is England, mm. and and we're back to privilege and postcodes. And the common enemy is no longer London. The enemy suddenly becomes the rich in Scotland versus the lazy poor in Scotland. Um, the SNP, you can't have a nationalist party anymore when you've got independence. So the SNP goes, sp splits into multiple parties. Hopefully, if the Scots went for independence, they would introduce a voting system which was fair. <laughs> so at least they could have their multiple parties. But then they would have to unravel centuries of privilege and division, what do you do about who's allowed to go to university? Right. Uh, what do you do about the lawyers who are, who are paid so much money and live in Newtown? What do you do about the slums on the south side of Glasgow? How, how do you un unravel these things? How do you get to a position, say, to go from Scotland to Finland, where all the schools in Scotland are seen as good? They're, wicked, they're wicked problems, right? Nobody... Well, short of an absolute disaster, um, short of, you know, Japan losing the Second World War and having two nuclear bombs put, put on it and the Americans invading, you know, that's been the only circumstances in the last couple of centuries where suddenly equality has come very quickly. Mm. Uh, revolutions haven't done it. No, exactly. Um, yeah, because ultimately those who start revolutions aren't in power when they end, yeah. often, and someone else is who just entrenches the monopoly that was there before. Yeah. So, and we've had enough revolutions to be able to go through and, um, and you don't want catastrophe. So, so it... So how do you do it? By pushing, by pushing and by two generations of activism. Right. Not just one, two, two, two generations. Right. Well, let's of, wind back and just pick you up at the Second World War, end of the Second yeah. World War, Finland, because that's what the book's about. Mm. Let's just take the education system. End of the Second World War in Finland. A bunch of adults looked around and there were literally feral kids in the street. Now, Finnish education system now is by a country mile the best in the world. Right? Yeah. I don't know what runs second. I think it's Switzerland. But anyway, the point is Finland right up there. When they saw those feral kids running around, they said, we've got to do something here. Because, and I think the realisation, and this comes back to your multi-generational point, the realisation is, and we're going to have a successful country, we're going to have to invest now for a couple of generations' time. Mm -hmm. Okay, there were a couple of ups and downs in the 70s and 80s where they got it a bit wrong, but broadly they got it right. Is that as, a, uh, as somebody who is concerned with society, is that where to focus your effort? Where the Finns beat other Nordic countries is by fo focusing their effort more on the poorest quarter than anything else, partly because they didn't want to leave, because nobody was coming. So, so if they emigrate and leave, I mean, straight after the war and during the war, one of the first things they did for school children was introduce free school meals for Everybody. We're still having that debate. We are. Okay. We're still having that. Oh and even though there were some ups and downs later, people campaigned not to lose that. So and they're not called free school meals, of course. They're just called school lunch. Because if everybody gets it, it's just like having a chair. You know, having to pay for your school meal is as stupid as having to pay for the chair you sit on at school. You have to eat. It, you know, this doesn't make sense. In Helsinki, they also uh, did meals during the holidays, which they've kept since the war. 
So again, no need for Marcus Rashford and, and so on. It's so not losing what you've gained and then arguing to improve all the time. You don't actually, it's ironic. The British want to be number one in the world, but over power and money and wealth. The countries that have actually become number one, two and three in the world have done it by wanting to be good and decent to other people in their country. Uh, and Whereas we still have an empire mentality where we rule over those who are lesser. It would make them soft. Well, that, yeah, but, that's yeah. a, um, but that's our mentality. Our mentality is if you were nice to people, they'll just stop working. Totally if they're not hungry, they won't try hard that's enough. That's rubbish. And we know that Lord of the Flies wasn't a handbook. We actually know from, you know, that collaboration works way better because it's not fear in or it's not pushed yeah. by fear. Um, but, but the British Empire did work by fear. Right, you don't. You, we got the largest empire. I'm not defending the British Empire. You can't. We haven't got it anymore. <laughs> we, haven't got, we haven't got it anymore. But you got to remember, those in power in Britain think it was a wonderful thing. Yes. And it was a thing made based on fear and subjugating people beneath you. And if that is your model of achievement, yes. the very opposite for the Nordic countries, and particularly Finland, which was only ever a colony. You know, it wasn't, and a colony to, to several different countries. Yes, yes, yes. So the idea of dominating other people and other places of success um, is, isn't there. It is very difficult for this island on the west of Europe to begin to get its way out of thinking like that. For the, the first thing that the British have to do is actually realise what they are and where they came from. Danny Dorling, welcome back. Renegade Inc. It's really great to have you, as always. Uh, Fintopia, you co-wrote it uh, with uh, Anika Koljun. Is that the right pronunciation? Koljonen. Koljonen. Uh, pitch it to us and tell us why we should read it. Because it's a happy book and you don't get many happy books. Uh, Finland, about three or four years ago, scored first, second or third in over 110 international social rankings you know, best in the world for education, lowest homelessness rates, and go on and on and on. At the same time, about four years ago, it was also ranked as the happiest country in the world. Then it did it again, then again, then again, four years in a row, number one. And the interesting question is, why don't people look at the place that does so well? Uh, so what Anika and I did is we tried to do two things. One is we tried to work out what doesn't work in Finland, what's so bad in the closest thing we have to Utopia. And what are those things, quickly? Those things are, you know, a bit of loneliness. Um, alcoholism? A bit of alcoholism. It's getting better. Gambling. A few guns? Loads of guns. Loads of guns. Loads are, they, guns. are they for hunting or...? They're for hunting and they don't kill each other with them. They don't? No. Helpful. But, you know, but, you know, if things were to go wrong in Finland, there were lots of guns there. So there are the few things that are going wrong, but what are things going right that you charted in this? <laughs> uh, well, you, you wouldn't have written this if you didn't uh, answer that, would you? Uh, uh, lowest infertility rate in the history of the species. That may be the top one. Um... You know, it's, uh, oh, uh, best work-life balance for everybody from every social group, no matter what your education is, you can you can choose. It just goes on and on. Uh, so then the other thing we did is we tried to work out well, how, on earth, how on earth did they get this? And we found it was partly, there's a lot of hard work over many decades, and maybe a little bit of chance as well yes. uh, at the right time. 
Danny, we talked in the break um, about something that you do in your spare time, and I hope you don't mind me bringing it up. You go and give uh, talks, lectures to schools mm. about inequality in the UK. And your stark message uh, within those talks is, uh, we failed, over to you. When the students ask you, the pupils ask you for a solution, you say, we failed. So at least you now know the problem, get on with fixing it. That's broadly it, isn't it? That is my answer, yeah, this year and at the moment. Yes. There's a few things there. The first thing is that a, a professor from Oxford shouldn't be standing in front of um, children, you know, in a well-functioning country and explaining inequality, should they? Uh, we shouldn't need to. Mm. Um, at least people, you know, it took a lot of work to get inequality onto the agenda. Of course. Um, you've you know, done, and you've uh, done huge amounts. I've done but some, but, but other people did a, a lot. It wasn't something we talked about. In the 80s, we weren't allowed to talk about poverty if you got government research money let alone inequality. And there are people now kind of call, calling it, let's call it disparities, right? <laughs> so, so a lot of work getting on the agenda. Once it's on, then you're asked to talk about it. When you show just how wide the gaps are between people, it is shocking. You think, how on earth can people survive like that? Or how on earth can other people be so profligate yes. uh, with so much? But everybody thinks that they don't have enough. That's, that's the other thing. But in terms of solutions for, for children, people have tried. You know, adults have tried. Progressive people on the left of politics have tried. Created the largest social movement and party membership across the whole of Europe and tried. You know, if it was easy, it would have been done. Uh, I also try to tell children to, to beware people telling them that they are fixing the problem. Right. Right? That's the next stage will yes, be. Yes. Don't worry about inequality, we've got it down. That'll be the next thing that happens. And you've got to, and it requires quite a lot of numeracy to spot if you're being lied to by somebody telling you that they've got a gap down, because there are many ways in which a gap can be measured. Of course. And people who like inequality like to confuse the issue of what it actually is. Overnight, you can't just transpose what the guys in Scandinavia are doing and dump it on the UK. Mm. Um, and similarly, we must be getting a few things right that the Scandinavians yeah. would, would take. Um, what are we getting right that the Scandies might want? One advantage of having a huge world empire is that we have had more people from more parts, different parts of the world here for longer. So if you look at racism, say, in London, or racism in a remote part of a Scandinavian or Nordic country, you know, you will probably find more racism in a remote part. Yes. But it's not, it's not like we didn't go out and conquer the world because we wanted to become a bit more multicultural and not so nasty. <laughs> no, we're right? just nicking stuff. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, but then, you know, and it, and it shows a nice side of human nature that it is quite hard to, to keep up prejudice when you actually mix and live near uh, people. And it's also made us a much richer country insofar as cultural. Yeah. That's the main one. <laughs> Dear. That's... All right. So what can we then go up? We're good at stealing, going around the world and stealing stuff. So we're going to go up and steal some ideas from Scandinavia. Yes. What are we going to steal? What are we going to take? And, and either introduce gently or just transpose onto here to try and get these social, socioeconomic indicators going in the right direction. Yes. I mean, you, you, you'd much more likely introduce it gently, but you never know. You know, there, there could be an absolute economic catastrophe, in which case... Um, but often what, what is done is actually cheaper. They spend less on their education in Finland than we do. Mm. You know, so it's more efficient uh, and have the best education system in the world. I would be looking at housing and particularly homelessness. And although we say we're introducing 
housing first policies from, from the Nordic countries actually do it properly. Um, and people come who run housing systems uh, in Finland here and go, why can't you see how we actually do it and copy it rather than just copy the name of the scheme? I would look at social security uh, and, you know, nothing goes wrong when you actually give people better social security. They don't become lazy. Um, That's the myth, isn't it? Give people yeah. universal basic income, they go and spend it on gambling shops and on alcohol. <laughs> yeah. It's absolute rubbish. They'll yeah. try and better their lot. Yeah, yeah. And they actually become happier and... And, and, and they can harder. enter into the norms of society. Who knew? Yeah. And in a similar way to the way in which people from Scandinavian Nordic countries came during the 1960s uh, here to see how you do things that are more progressive, because we were doing a very good job at reducing poverty and inequality. Uh, you know, we had one of the biggest falls in inequality. We took one of the most divided societies in which the majority of women had the largest job was to work in service in the 20s and took it right through to the swinging 60s and nobody had a servant anymore and mm. you know and so learning from other places uh does make sense and, and it's partly why scandinavia and the nordic countries are so good because because they they came and they learned from the best of equality in places like britain in the past you know those decades that we now the 70s that are now written off by the right wing say it was terrible um well but, you know, that's when people were coming and looking to see how to do things. Finish on this, and um, it's one of the quotes at the beginning of one of the chapters um, of your excellent book. Um, and it's actually, it actually comes from the Finnish Prime Minister, who is the youngest uh, elected Prime Minister um, in the world. Uh, she's now serving um, at 34 years old. And uh, on the 8th of December 2019, she said, I have lived in a welfare state and I'm grateful for how society gave me support in the tough times of my life. Mm. Well, I would venture that you wouldn't become a, a serving prime minister at 34 if you hadn't had that uh, welfare state to be able to cushion you whilst you do the thinking, reading and learning to be able to do the job. Yeah. Why do we go uh, so badly to war uh, on the welfare state in this country when it's created such a, a, a positive outcome in Finland? We just don't look there. You know, that, that's the start. We look and have looked to the United States of America as our model. Golly gosh. Which, which of course, has even worse social security um, and food stamps. And, and, and arguably pre presidents. Yes, yeah. Um, because the USA took over from us as becoming the world leader, the world power. So we look to them because they must know how to do it. And it would have been so easy in hindsight just to, you know, look the other way, right. look up there. And, yeah. And that's, and, you know, and Labour politicians, Gordon Brown, would go every summer to Cape Cod to learn how things work in America. You know, it, it, Tony Blair famously said, you know, don't go back on the Americans because if you, um, you know, wrong them, yeah. it's a long, long way back. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have so much of our thinking to, to undo. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just decolonizing our curriculum, it's actually learning about which continent we actually are in. You know, and I'm a geographer, <laughs> and then it's kind of, we are in Europe, you know, look at it, learn from it, see the different parts of it. Um, don't go round to look at Singapore or Australia or the US as your model. You've actually got far better models, really near, to, you know, not perfect, but just... A damn sight better than this. 
and the highest quality of living that the world has ever known for human beings. You know, it's not that bad either. We you painted a, a realistic picture. I was going to say bleak. It is bleak, of course, but the picture is bleak. It's realistic. Yeah. Uh, but we've ended by saying, actually, um, you have to uh, address the symptoms. You have, well, first, you have got to diagnose this. Mm. Then you've got to address the symptoms, and then eventually you get to a better place. Are you optimistic? Yes. Yes, no, I You've got I to be am. a bit more convincing than that. I, I am. I mean, I do find it deeply upsetting, the situation that, that Britain has got itself in at the moment. Yes. I've always ever lived here. I was born here. And that, and that is upsetting. I'm optimistic because you step back from it and you can now say, we are now very sure that there are not superior and inferior human beings. We are now very sure that you can run things collectively and look after everybody and it's better for everybody. We have had enough decades of this working in various places. Whereas if you were in the 60s and 70s, it would be an ideological argument. It would be, you know, this person has written a book about how wonderful things could be and if only we did this. Mm. Which, you know, might be true, often doesn't work. Whereas seeing it in in practice, um, and it also results in low expenditure, high happiness, less CO2 pollution, you know, it's kind of where you want to go. It it would be terrible if it wasn't the case. Um, Now, there will be people listening to this spitting blood saying, but it's all going to go wrong. And don't you know about the free fins and people trying to unravel it? And yes, you know, you've got to keep battling and fighting for it. But the old ideas of different people, gold, silver, bronze children, you know, they really, really are dying amongst most people who think and live and experience things. And I'm optimistic that, that the UK will not be able to cut itself off from ever from that understanding and keep the majority of the population down and living on so little on the grounds that they are supposedly so inferior while lying to them and telling them that, oh, don't worry, tomorrow will be better. <laughs> jam tomorrow. Mm. What you've done, um, Danny Dorling, is you've created um, a handbook. Fintopia is a handbook for how we could possibly get out of this mess. Uh, congratulations to both you uh, and Anika Koljian uh, uh, on writing it. Thank you very much and um, thanks for your time. Thank you. In a very unequal country, like the UK has become, back in the 70s we were almost as equal as Sweden. In a very unequal country, you have people who actually want it to be unequal. You don't become unequal by accident, sort of slip into it. You have people who want it to be unequal. People who believe there are big differences between human beings, that some deserve a lot of money, but most don't. And if you believe that, if you believe that most people are inferior, you have to lie to them. You can't say, I believe most of you are inferior. I've had a very expensive education. I'm very clever you need me to rule you. And by the way, because you're inferior, you need you don't need so much money as me. But because I'm superior, I need country houses and things. You don't say that to people when they have a vote. You lie all the time, year after year after year, till you get to a point where you don't know it's lying anymore because that's how you talk to little people. And that's what happens in a country that becomes more and more and more unequal. Mm-hmm.